We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. We're talking third-year breakout candidates on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hey everyone, welcome on into Rotoviz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Matt, I feel like we are now in full out fantasy season. I've fired up a couple of best ball leagues. Um, coverage is really picking up on the site. Uh, I'm assuming you're starting to get pretty busy. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny, like I'm still kind of uh, focusing on a lot of other sports right now. Like we have the uh, like the finals for both NHL and NBA, uh, and those should be wrapping up soon. Game seven in hockey, which is going to be fun. NASCAR is still going and, you know, kind of getting into that a little bit more. So just, yeah, I mean, lots of other sports, but yeah, of course, uh, the NFL season is approaching. I'm uh, still working on all of my uh, season long projections. So uh, yeah, just doing a little bit of everything. Do you watch any of these NBA and NHL games? Or are you just kind of like casually observing? Or are you into them? Uh, I'm not watching them at all, which is uh, kind of pathetic of me to uh, admit. Um, but uh, I'm I'm betting on a lot of NHL props. Uh, you know, I like created a, a statistical model to project, and that that's done really well. Um, and it's I mean, it's funny. It's kind of similar to uh, like the model I had for um, for March Madness. Yep. Like, it, like, I mean, it sounds weird to say, but there's not all that much of a difference, at least in my, uh, you know, novice experience in projecting, uh, between projecting basketball and projecting hockey. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, not watching, but like diving into the data for different sports. The, the real interesting thing that I think of when I consider the difference between trying to model a sport like football and something like hockey or basketball is in football, there's finite plays. So you have a better idea of the opportunity their player might get, whereas you never know how things are going to break necessarily in a basketball game and how that might impact a player's stats. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think. Now, when you do modeling, what are you doing that in? Are you doing that in Excel? Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it in Excel, which uh, like I know is an inefficiency. And so I'm actually starting to uh, to try to become more proficient both in Excel and then just kind of like learning more about data science. And then eventually I, I know I need to pick up R. So that's yep. something uh, that's something on the horizon. But yeah, everything I'm doing right now is in Excel. And I think it, like it's fairly basic stuff. 
Like, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything all that, like, uh, mind-blowing about, like, what I'm doing and how I'm creating projections. But, um, I mean, there are some things that I think are, I wouldn't say, like, uniquely mine, but, like, took me a while to think of. Um, and, like, now that I see it, it's like, oh, wow, this is so obvious. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to kind of just go through the process of projecting other sports because it, it does make me think more about like the process of what I'm doing with NFL. So I, I have changed my process for how I'm projecting teams, uh, in the NFL, uh, just based on, uh, I guess sort of like self-taught lessons right. that I've learned, uh, from project projecting other sports. Yeah. A couple of thoughts there. I think that, um, Excel is perfectly fine for modeling things, um, especially if you're a beginner because you can get in there and really it's much easier to configure things and and do the calculations and look at the things that you're interested in. Um, as somebody that has done a lot of stuff in Excel, though, I, I have now started to really make the switch over to R just because it's much easier to update that on a year to year basis to have scripts that you just run, kind of do batch processes. But yeah, you can do a lot of things in Excel. And um, I think that the other thing that is interesting about considering how you go about your process in other sports is if you have less information on that sport, you're more inclined to look at the results of your model critically. Whereas if you're doing football and I see a bunch of players that pop up as what I'm expecting to see pop up for the player, I might just go with the model, but that doesn't mean I've actually looked at the right things, whereas I might be more inclined to do more back testing and trying to see if one I'm getting out of the other sports models makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely like a, a lot to to learn there. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is like I have no, uh, or at least not that I'm aware of, like preconceived biases entering the process with these other sports. Like, you know, with March Madness, I had literally no idea who any yeah. of the basketball players were. And like, it's the same with hockey. Like, I don't know who any of these players are. Like, I, I do some research to kind of read up um, after I've created projections. And it's like, oh, this guy has a broken jaw. But, you know, like, I, I really don't know anything about these players. So, like, I can't really, like, be accused of having, like, <laughs> any uh, any biases when it comes to this stuff. It's just sort of like, uh, this is, you know, this is what the projection says. Yep. Uh, another kind of related thing um, I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago, actually, Josh Hermsmeyer, um, who most of the listeners should know from airyards.com and uh, used to do a lot of awesome things for Rotoviz. He just recently put out um, a pretty cool tutorial on how people can get up and running using R, getting it installed on their machine, how they can access some data that he's made available through AirYard and start learning how you can do some analysis on your own. And it's probably one of the most accessible tutorials that I've seen for people that just want to start working with uh, football data. So he had that up on Twitter. So if there's anybody out there that's interested in kind of delving into doing some of their own research, definitely go check that out. Uh, on that note, I want to mention to you, Matt, that I did publish a couple of articles based upon the rookie data I was looking at la or that we were looking at last week. And I did go back to 2008 to pull in the full 10 years. Now, pulling in the 2018 running back class actually had the opposite impact to what you were expecting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So anyways... If the listeners are interested in checking more of that out, uh, you can still get that 10% listener-only discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content. And best of all, it supports the podcast. And as a thank you for your awesome support, we have a Rotoviz NFL Pass to give away here on Rotoviz Radio. All you need to do is to subscribe to and rate Rotoviz Radio on iTunes or your favorite podcast player, do us a solid and hit that rate button. And in doing so, you gain an entry into our giveaway. Each Rotoviz podcast you rate and review will count as an entry. The more reviews, the more chances you have to win. And the other cool thing is, if any current Rotoviz subscriber wins, they will have an additional year added to their current subscription. So there's literally, literally no reason not to enter this. The winner will be announced on an upcoming show. Rate and review the Rotoviz network on iTunes and enter now. Matt, what did you think of the 2017 draft class? 
going back two seasons, did you have high expectations for it? And do you think that this class has outperformed your expectations or underperformed? Um, I was, I mean, I thought it was roughly an average class. Um, I thought it was good on the, at the quarterback position in Mahomes and Watson. Uh, I was hesitant on Trubisky just because he had the, um, only like one year of uh, sample for us to consider. Uh, and also because he was older, but the, the age wasn't really all that big of a factor. It was, it was primarily that he had just one year of starting experience. Um, at running back, I was interested uh, quite a bit in the class. And, uh, you know, I think the running back class actually has, uh, I'd say, probably exceeded uh, mm. expectations uh, in in some ways, especially kind of in the depth of the class. Um, I mean, we'll talk obviously more about the, yeah. the running backs in a little bit, but, uh, and then wide receivers, I think they've kind of underwhelmed. Um, but I was, it's weird. Like there are guys like, there were some people who were really into Zay Jones. And I just remember <laughs> even at the time thinking like, I don't know why anyone's really all that into Zay Jones. Um, right. but, uh, I mean, it's been disappointing at the top with, uh, Corey Davis and John Ross, two guys drafted in the top 10 who've done, uh, relatively little. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think on the whole, I thought it was a slightly above average class and I think that's what it has been. Yeah. I think that when I was looking through some of these players and what we're going to do on this podcast here today is run through each position, um, quickly talking about the players that we think have hit and then more importantly, trying to identify players that haven't hit yet that could hit in 2019 or players that you might be inclined to want to go after, but that, there are chances at this point of breaking out, if you will, are really low. Um, but for me, it was kind of surprising because there was players that uh, I hadn't expected, but they were kind of offset by some players, like you said, Corey Davis, that there was a lot of good signs for. And a player like Davis has had opportunity and just has not been able to capitalize on it. Uh, so why don't we start with quarterback um, as you said, Trubisky at the top of the class, I was a little bit down on him as well, but, um, you know, I think we have to say at this point, I'm, I'm feeling pretty decent about his career. Yeah, I'm not actually. Okay. Um, I, I don't know what, um, what the real difference is between him and Blake Bortles. Like he, he will probably be better than Bortles, but, um, I think he's basically Bortles with a better offensive play caller. Um, I think that's kind of what he is. Um, so uh, this next year, I mean, it's his third year. Obviously, he wasn't in a great situation his rookie season. So you can, um, I don't want to say discount it, but um, it's easy to move past it. Um, and he did some really good things last year. Um, you know, he had some very high highs, but he had some like pretty bad moments too. Um so I don't know. I'm still kind of like reserving judgment on Trubisky, like out of the big three in that class. Like, yep. I think he's clearly the worst. Right. With which the other like, player. Yeah. Yep. Which you wouldn't expect given that he was drafted. And there's like a very big difference between guys drafted number one and two and drafted 10 and 12. Like, I right. know it doesn't seem like that big of a difference, but for the quarterback position, that is actually a really huge difference. Um, so for the guy who was drafted in the top two, I'd say clearly to be the the least impressive of the three quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Like, that is pretty damning. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson, um, a lot of people questioned, but I think that he's definitely asserted that a lot of the things people were worried about, he has overcome. Yeah, the arm Are strength thing was so yet, ridiculous. Can we talk yeah. about that, the arm strength thing? Yeah, do you remember, do like... I, what what was it that he threw? Was it like forty nine miles per hour, or it was like what? It was something, and and people and people were talking like this definitely meant that he would be a subpar NFL quarterback. But they were looking at a sample of almost nothing, right? Like the the fact is that there were very few quarterbacks, actually no no quarterbacks who have ever been drafted in the first round who had an arm. Uh, in terms of mile miles per hour, an arm as weak as his, but like, I think it's one. So it's just a small sample. It's like all of those other guys who had weak arms, none of them had like the production profile. So like, there's a real question as to like whether he's even comparable to those guys. Um, and the guys who have had NFL success with weak arms, uh, Tyrod Taylor, Dak Prescott, one, uh, they're comparable to Deshaun Watson. So you could see a path 
to how he could have success. And then two, like they don't necessarily even have like weak arms, you know, it's just like they didn't throw hard at the combine. And like, what does that really mean? Like maybe it just means the guy isn't throwing as hard as he would in a game um, just because he's like focusing on accuracy or something. Like there are so many like little assumptions um, that just, I think kind of doomed the idea of like, oh, this guy won't be a good NFL quarterback solely because he doesn't throw uh, faster than 55 miles per hour. Like that, it's an arbitrary threshold that like meant nothing and was grounded in, I think, uh, really poor logic and just analysis. Yeah. Cause as far as I know, from the outlets where we would have heard that being knocked, I don't know if there was any research actually done on a, what quarterbacks are doing in the game and then B, how that would actually translate into completion percentage or yeah. any other thing that we could measure. Yeah. And you also look at quarterbacks uh, who have aged and who have lost arm strength, like Peyton Manning uh, in Denver was like the the paragon of this, who had like no arm strength, but he was still able to deliver the ball where he needed to because he was uh, a great anticipatory thrower and was great at analyzing what the defense was doing. Uh, and so if you have a, a quarterback like that, and I wouldn't say like Deshaun Watson is at that level, but like he could be at that level. And I think he is like a fairly, uh, a fairly heady passer. Um, so even if he doesn't have a strong arm, uh, he can still put the ball where he needs to. Yeah. Uh, moving down the rest of this list, we will only talk about any of these names. If you think there's a compelling reason to. Deshaun Kaiser went at 52, Davis Webb at 87, CJ Beathard at 104, Joshua Dobbs, Nathan Peterman, Brad Kaya, and Chad Kelly. Was Mr. Irrelevant? <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- th- there's nothing really, I think, all that much to say. The Kaiser pick was interesting at the time, um, you know, just because it was a Sashi Brown pick and he had a, a chance to start right away. Um, but, you know, I think he was just doomed uh, because of Hugh Jackson and the circumstances around him. He was pulled in and out of the lineup um, and he was like a very uh, raw, unfinished player when he entered the league. Um, so, you know, if he had been a second rounder who was drafted to like the Patriots, for instance, and he had sat on the bench for three years behind Tom Brady, like maybe he would have developed into something. Uh, CJ Beathard was also interesting coming out of Iowa. I didn't really think all that highly of him, uh, you know, but he had like quote unquote NFL pedigree. Uh, and, you know, he's, uh, I don't know, it's hard to say what, um, what we should read into his career so far. Uh, with the 49ers. Like, I don't think he's been bad. I don't think he's been great. He's just sort of like someone who will probably be a long-term NFL backup. Nathan Peterman, like worst player of all time. Um, Chad Kelly, someone who was really intriguing. Uh, and I think potentially could have had a chance with the Broncos, uh, if not for off the field issues. But yeah, I mean, any quarterback drafted outside of the first round, uh, I mean, uh, a massive long shot to have any, uh, career success. Yeah, um, we will get to running back because that is going to have much uh, higher implications for our listeners. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory factory uh leonard fournette christian mccaffrey dalvin cook joe mixon alvin kamara kareem hunt to start that draft that is a solid class i would say that all of those guys have been hits yeah um and you know dante freeman sorry not dante freeman dante uh foreman yep. uh, was even someone who looked like he really could have taken the starting job there uh with the texans at the end of his rookie year uh but then suffered an injury um but uh yeah i mean a lot of those guys uh in the top half of uh of the draft uh samaji Pirine hasn't done anything but uh Tarek cohen in the fourth round james connor at the end of the third round uh, those guys have been impressive. So uh, a really good running back class. I would say though, like the guys at the top 
have kind of disappointed. Um, like outside of Christian McCaffrey, but Leonard Fournette has, I, I think, disappointed. Uh, given how other guys drafted in the top ten recently have done, mm-hmm. uh, Dalvin Cook has flashed. But um, if you know he's on your team in Dynasty, I think you still have to be a little bit disappointed. Uh, and then Joe Mixon, even though last year he had a, a pretty good season, um, I think you still are kind of hoping that you're going to get more out of him in the coming seasons than what you've gotten out of him so far. He's he's missed games. Um, I mean, again, he's, he's, I think maybe the most impressive of all of the, uh, all of like the non McCaffrey and Kamara guys. Um, but, uh, he still has room to grow. Yeah. Now as a reminder to everybody, Leonard Fournette was picked. Am I correct that this was number four? Number four overall. Yeah. Number four overall. Yeah. Uh, I think if they could go back in time. Back in time, they would not have made that pick. Who knows? Yeah, maybe they I, would I mean, yeah, they maybe just would have drafted uh, Christian McCaffrey, but yeah. they probably still would have gone with the running back. It's just, it's unreal. But yeah, you look at the other running backs drafted in the top 10 recently. You have Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Todd Gurley, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, like all of those guys, even if you think they were drafted too highly, and I think they were, like they've all been, uh, you know, like difference making guys in fantasy uh, but that hasn't been Fournette, you know, like there's still yep. time. He still has the potential to do it. Um, he's going to get a lot of volume this year, assuming he can stay healthy, but, uh, who knows if he can actually stay healthy. Yeah, that that's definitely going to be a key driver there. So you, I think you'd said Samaj P Ryan. I think we can write him off at this yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, Joe Williams, who went to San Francisco, he's, he's off the list. He's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Danelle Pumphrey went to Philadelphia. I don't think we can expect some type of breakout from him at this point. Um, given that obviously they have Jordan Howard and then they drafted Miles Sanders. There's some other players on that, uh, roster as well that have had limited success for them. Uh, Jamal Williams on the Packers, obviously Aaron Jones was in that class too. He's had his spots. I think we're in the same place we were last year trying to figure out exactly how that backfield's going to work. There will be some changes in the offensive scheme. Are you leaning towards either of them having a very positive upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, I think Aaron Jones is the one to uh, to bet on if you're looking at these guys. And I mean, that's like a really obvious statement. ADP reflects that. Um, I don't actually get the... Um, I don't want to even say it's infatuation, but like there's strong dynasty interest in Dexter Williams. Um, like the rookie drafted to the Packers. And I, I kind of don't get it. Like, I don't, it's not that he's like not special. It's just, I don't think he's anything special. And he was a late round pick. Like, I think Aaron Jones wins that job pretty easily. Yeah. I can say in all of the research that I did on running backs, I never once had anything that drew me to his name. He was a player that was just kind of there in the list and there was nothing that ever made me pause and really consider him. So I don't really know what the attraction is. Normally with a player like that, it would just be that they're a body there and you can't identify many bodies ahead of them. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting looking at this list, and and I think this might be the case with running backs as they are entering their third year. Um, for the most part, you have a really solid idea of who all of these guys are and like what is a realistic range of outcomes for them in the future. Like sometimes it, it's a little hit or miss where there's a guy who, you know, like breaks out in year three or year four. But all of these guys, like we have a pretty solid read on them. You know, like at this point, we have a sense of who Marlon Mack is and what he's going to do. The same thing with with Chris Carson, who was just like a home run of a draft pick in the seventh round. Uh, and I think sort of gives the lie to uh, all of these other guys drafted ahead of him. Like, I don't know yeah. why you would take Leonard Fournette in the first round when you can get someone like Chris Carson or Marlon Mack anywhere from like rounds four to round seven. Yeah. I mean, Marlon Mack is really well positioned. We've seen now that he's very, very capable. And yeah, there's a huge difference between your number four overall pick. And then Mac went at 143. I think it was a compensatory pick, but nonetheless, um, yeah, I, 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 it's still interesting what these teams 
are doing, and I think they will continue to do. Other names on the list, Wayne Gallman, there was some interest in. Obviously, that got uh, extinguished by the draft pick of Saquon Barkley. Now, I heard uh, Hassan and Blair talking with our good friend, the podfather, Fantasy Mansion, on the Rotoviz report about Brian Hill, the Atlanta Falcons running back out of Wyoming, who went 156 to the Falcons back in 2017. We have never talked about Brian Hill. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he was super productive at Wyoming. He was uh, basically like their offense. Uh, and I think he had a workhorse score like in the 90s just because like they relied on him so much. But he didn't really do much as a pass catcher. Um, but yeah, I mean, a a big bodied guy who got a lot of production in college. Like you could do a lot worse uh, than someone like that in the fifth round. Um, but I don't think he's really going to do much in the NFL at this point. Yeah, they, I think they were saying that they think um, he'd be the type of guy that if he could find his way onto another team, there'd be a lot of potential for. Obviously, he still has to deal with Freeman and Ido Smith, who I think uh, with the usage that Smith saw last season, uh, it looks to me like he's kind of entrenched there in Atlanta. Yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, so yeah, Brian Hill is interesting, but he's not someone who can catch passes. And so I, I mean, I don't know why there would be the opportunity for him to be much better if he were on another team. Um, I think coaches are still going to want players who are well-rounded and can be three down backs as sort of like the uh, the dream for what they're looking for. Uh, I think if Brian Hill were ever to get an opportunity, it would just be because he fell into it and a, a team had just like a, a gaping hole in the depth chart because of injury. Yeah. The, the teams that they said that it could make sense for were Baltimore and Carolina, which I guess I could see um, maybe Carolina a little bit more just to have somebody behind um, McCaffrey. That's not Cameron artist Payne or Jordan Scarlett. Yeah, I, I um, guess. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, I think that's Friedman's way of dismissing that thought, which I like it. Yeah. Hey, uh, no, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thought, but like, I feel like you could say that about so many guys who yeah. entered the league as late rounders. It's like, yeah, if they get on a team that has a need, they could have a chance. You know, like, yep. yeah, that's like that's possible. Um, and Brian Hill was someone I was interested in when he entered the league. But like after a year of doing nothing, like I'm moving on. You know what I mean? Like there's like a new batch of guys. All right. Well, I will tell you that there have been a lot of requests coming in to have Fantasy Mansion come back on the pod. So if you're down for it again, we will bring him on and we will specifically talk about Brian Hill. Uh, yeah, that's a great idea. Have him uh, come on when I'm not on the show. Uh, he will be an <laughs> excellent fill-in. Uh, one, one guy we maybe should talk about, yeah. um, I, I'm not sure exactly what I think of him, Elijah McGuire. Yep. Um, like I, I wasn't even sure what I thought about him entering the league because he was one of those guys who was productive, was a good pass catcher, but wasn't really all that athletic, played at a small school, and I don't hold that against him all that much. Um, and he, he did flash a little bit like in spurts because of his pass catching ability, uh, his first year with the Jets, but he hasn't done much since then. And then now that uh, the the team has Le'Veon Bell, I mean, what is he going to do? Maybe he's a, a change of pace guy. Um, I, I mean, do you have any thoughts on him? You know, maybe he could he could be someone who gets uh, some decent work if Le'Veon Bell suffers an injury. But I still don't even know if he would see all that much usage in that instance. I think that he is the type of player who could be a fantasy viable option if playing in an offense where you have one kind of elite player that doesn't do everything. Uh, in a team where you have a Le'Veon Bell, like you said, I just don't see how he finds his way into the fold because it's not like in the passing role he could outplay a guy like Bell or McCaffrey or anybody like that. But maybe, you know, in a different offense, I think he could be usable. But at this point in his career, it's not not looking good for him. Although I did think that um, there was hope for him. Like you said, you know, there was flashes in the rookie season. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe if he'd been in a team like Atlanta when they were doing what they were doing with Freeman and Coleman, it could have worked. But at this point... Um, even after having acquired him in dynasty leagues a couple of years ago, I'm I'm very bearish. Yeah. One thought on uh, Tarek Cohen. I'd like to get your thoughts on him. 
Um, I think it's hard to see players like him coming. Um, so guys who are smaller and um, who come from small schools and look like they're just going to be career number two backs at best, I tend just to stay away from them as a general rule. Um, and I don't know if that's like flawed methodology, but I think it's hard to see guys like him coming. You know, it's very easy yeah. to dismiss him. Um, and maybe he's the outlier, but I'm wondering if um, if he was someone that you paid attention to when he was entering the league and if you thought he would have, uh, you know, fantasy viability. That's not even approaching where he is now. But, you know, if you thought, yes, this is someone who could be useful. No, I have to admit, like, I, I did not see him coming. And to your question about if that's flawed methodology on your part, I don't think that it is. Um, one reason, as we've talked about before, in the case of a player like Cohen, his speed score was only to 93, which for a 5'6", 179 player, that just isn't going to cut it. If you have that profile, you know, normally we need to see you be tremendously fast and there has to be a number of other things on top of that. I mean, his college dominator was great, but ultimately, if we're trying to take our chances and increase our probability going after a player like Cohen aggressively, it's just not going to manifest that much. And, and, you know, maybe from the lens of not just necessarily targeting them, but how often do you see a player with that profile like Cohen really work out? So I don't think it's a flawed methodology. Over the long run, I have to side with the numbers are just there to support that you're better off going for those prototypical guys in that 510 210 plus type of range that could be an every down type of back and it's very hard to see guys like Cohen coming and I think the other thing too is you're always going to have the question of in that player's given roster how secure is that spot that they have, especially if they're only doing one thing? If their skill is just being a receiving back, you don't know how long that can last in the confines of that offense. At least that's my take on it. Are you kind of in the same place? Yeah, that's my thought. I mean, the the idea was that at best he could be Darren Sproles. And um, you know, I, mean, I think that's basically what he is. I just don't know how sustainable that is right. year to year. Um, and I don't know how projectable it was uh, to think that he could have that kind of production coming out of college. Like even though he was – like he was comparable to Sproles in that uh, he was very athletic – sorry, very productive uh, just as <laughs> Sproles was when he was coming out of Kansas State. Um, so it's not like he's only a guy who can do one thing when in college he showed that he had the ability to do more even if in the NFL he would be used pretty much only in one way. Um, but I just, yeah, I kind of just didn't see enough. Uh, yeah. I don't think he was like a great return man in college, which is like something you would also like to see out of a guy who's going to have to be used in a multi-dimensional way. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's someone who really intrigues me and, and I, I don't know, like there aren't all that many guys who enter the NFL like him to begin with. Um, but I do want to think a little bit more about what it means when we see players like him come along. I guess the one thing I would add into that, though, was he was a fourth round draft pick, which just by the function of being a fourth round draft pick already limits the, I guess, uh, I mean, yeah, it really just does kind of limit the probability for him. So that's already kind of a knock. I mean, you know, obviously you're going to be drafting him in a dynasty league in a spot where you're looking at other fourth rounders. Um but I guess that just contributes to it being easy to pass over guys like him. But I would also throw a player like Naheem Hines, right? Yeah. I liked him. There's a lot going for him. But we see now that he's in a situation where you have a player like Marlon Mack, who is pretty good in the receiving game in his own right. And it's possible that Mack is able to go toe-to-toe for him with that role that he has. And it very easily he could get phased out. Yeah, I mean, Hines is like the bigger um, Tarek Cohen. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, well, the interesting thing with Mac is that they they didn't use him all that much as a receiver last year. Like they really seemed to stick him as only like a, a two-down guy and to carve out that role for Hines. 
Um, and Hines is someone who is like very multidimensional, like strong receiver, good enough as a runner, I think, uh, and also productive as a return man in college. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think he will, he will stick. I mean, to, to go back to the, the point about these guys being fourth rounders, like they are almost always fourth rounders. Like at the most, they are maybe third rounders. Like Dree Archer is someone who kind of comes to mind, mm-hmm. um, back in the day who was a, a third rounder, but yeah, these guys who are smaller, they tend to be um, fourth to sixth rounders. So it's it's kind of this separate bucket where they're never going to be drafted, uh, you know, in, in the second round where you can kind of project them for more usage. So you're, yeah, you're always going to be comparing them to other guys right. who are like an, in that same bucket. Like another guy like that that comes to mind is Chris Rainey. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's funny as I start looking back at the prospects we saw – if we're looking for the ones that had NFL success, we end up defaulting back to Darren Sproul, the player who Darren Sproles, who was, I don't even remember how long ago that was. Honestly, I think I might've been in high school when Darren Sproles yeah. got drafted. Chris Which, Thompson is another guy who okay, falls yep, into that's this a good mold. one. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. How big think, was Fred Jackson? Fred Jackson was actually oh, decent no, no, no. size. Ja- he was, Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Jackson was big. I guess Woodhead maybe would be another comp I could yeah, come yeah, up with Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Woodhead, Woodhead's the guy. And uh, I mean, undrafted once again, but he still was blaz- 195 blazing fast. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, Woodhead was, I think, yeah, he was 199 at his pro oh, day okay. and ran like a, a 4.38. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't have great agility, which is kind of weird to think about, um, but super productive, great receiver in college. Yeah. I mean, there are these guys who do come along like this, like every two to three years. I just kind of need to think more about them. Uh, what do you consider a great agility for a player in in this size range? I'm assuming that we'd have to uh, be a little more stringent with what we're looking for. Yeah, with a guy who's so small, I think you'd want him to be at least sub 11 in the agility score. Right. Um, but even that seems like a really uh, high threshold. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would hope for even like sub 10.8. But I mean, as we talked about like a few episodes ago, um, agility doesn't matter for a lot of running backs, <laughs> but it's just, it's weird to think of, of guys who are small, who aren't agile, right. uh, who still end up contributing quite a bit. And like, I should say like Terry Cohen, he, like a 4.42 second 40 time. And, and you touched on this with his speed score. Like that really is not all that athletic for a guy who's only 179 pounds. Yeah, it really isn't. I mean, it, it, that score is a 41st percentile score, which I know we're adjusting for size and and everything. But I think if you look at all of the backs that that are, um, you know, sub 185, it's not an impressive score really at all, to be honest. So to to, to put this in in comparison, I think with someone who's actually pretty similar, Tavon Austin, I think was uh, 179 pounds and he ran a 4.34. I mean, you would you would kind of expect someone to have the success that Cohen has had to have a, a similar type of athletic skill set because you would think that is what would be required to have success with his size. Yeah, no, I mean, a- absolutely. Um, now, oh, I'm trying to think of it too. Now we're really getting off track here, but who's the, re- the receiver on Miami that's really small? I don't know if he's still on Miami, but he was there. Um, I I can assume only that you're talking about Jakeem Grant. Yes, 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 Jakeem yeah. Grant. Yeah. Um, I'm not really taking that anywhere, but I still uh, I, he's one of those players. When I watch him, I'm just amazed by the fact that he's playing that position in the NFL at his size. Yeah, uh, fantastically productive last year. Uh, suffered an injury. I was an Achilles injury. I thought it was a tear, but I I think it actually it wasn't. Um, maybe it wasn't a tear. So that's uh, that's good news for him. I think he could actually recover. Yeah, I don't know if, if I have any more insight on Jakeem no. Grant other than 5'6", 165, uh, and doing well in the NFL. So I, I wish him the best as somebody that's in that 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, range. Uh, I, you know, I, I might be able to round myself up to 5'6", but as I say, when you're rounding, you know that you are not very tall. How tall are you, Matt? I'm going to guess 6'2". Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, my, my dad uh, is 6'2". I think he's probably shrunk down a little bit. I'm 5'10". Oh, okay. All right, that's fair. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's not. With, it's not. It's not great. It's not great. It was, it was an athletic disappointment. Okay, 
Um, well, l- let's ask this. Did you have the athletic prowess that your height really mattered? Uh, it would have been nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was fairly athletic in high school. So okay. like the difference between 5'10 and 6'2, like when you are naturally athletic, like that's a pretty big difference. Yeah. All right. But, I'll give you that. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't try as hard as I should have if I actually wanted to like be a good, you know, sportsman. Right. So, well, yeah. so when you were in high school, how much, um, of your effort did you split between doing good in school and trying to do good at athletics? I mean, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I dicked around quite a bit in high school. Yeah. Um, I played video games. I played guitar. Um, I really wasn't focused on school. Uh, focused more on athletics, but that just kind of came a little more naturally. I, I didn't honestly put much effort into the things that uh, people should actually put effort into. Yeah, no, I understand that. Now, in your household, was there a lot of emphasis placed on education and trying to do good in school? Yeah, uh, there was. I mean, the thing is, I I think I went to a pretty, I mean, this is really going off the rails, but I think I went to a a pretty crappy high school. Okay. Uh, So it wasn't all that hard for me to dick around and still have good grades. Ah, I gotcha. Okay. All right, there we go. Now that the listeners have more information on Friedman, although I actually think that people are interested in all things Matthew Friedman. So I think that was a good I, I guarantee you they are not. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. All right. Rotovis fans, allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It may be the off-season for most people. It definitely is not for our listeners or the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee. If you're a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues starting at $77 and even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty league. And the best part is... Not a single Dynasty League has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now with brand new Dynasty startups opening shortly. Uh, don't miss the FFPC experience. Road of his listeners, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Moving into the wide receivers, Corey Davis, we discussed him prior. I'm not sure that you could consider him a hit. He should have been a hit last season, given the volume that he was getting. Couldn't make it happen. The team now has Adam Humphreys. They bring in A.J. Brown. Uh, I. Who else did they acquire? They acquired somebody else, too, of note. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Delaney Walker comes back. Okay. Yeah. Delaney Walker comes back. So maybe I'm making up the other piece of that equation there. Point being, it's going to be even harder. I think for Corey Davis this season, uh, he's still buying that he could have a breakout. Yeah. Um, it could happen. I mean, the, the third year breakout is something that is, uh, you know, within the range of outcomes. <laughs> and, and, uh, I mean, look, look at Devonte Adams, I think is someone who's kind of, comparable to Corey Davis in ways is like someone who got volume early in his career, didn't really do all that much with it, but was still someone uh, who looked like he would be getting volume moving forward. Uh, And I think that is still Corey Davis. Um, I think he's still going to be the guy who leads this team in targets. So uh, it's possible for him to have a a thousand yard season. Um, Even I'd say like 1200 yards, like that's possible. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, he's in the middle of, uh, kind of like breakout or bust 
and like what yeah. his career has been so far. It, it hasn't been uh, anything close to what people would have hoped for, but it hasn't, he hasn't been a bust either. Like he most certainly has not been a bust to this point in his career. Like you only need to move down four spots to look at John Ross. He's been an absolute bust to this point. Yes. Yes. That he, he absolutely has been. Um, Johnu Smith is also, um, I think actually he was in this class and we might be able to talk yeah. about him later. He's been a major disappointment for me. Uh, anyways, yeah. John Ross, you mentioned Zay Jones has actually managed to do a little bit better than my expectations, singularly by points being the only moving body in the, uh, Buffalo Bills receiving game. Yeah. Um, but he's, I mean, I think he's basically a non-entity moving forward. Yep. Some people are talking about him um, instead of John Brown or instead of Robert Foster. But I think Brown and Foster are locked in on the outside. Um, Cole Beasley, the team just signed him. I think he's locked into the slot. Uh, I don't really see Zay Jones doing anything more than being the fourth wide receiver on this team. Um, you know, I, I could be wrong, but uh, I prefer those other three receivers to him. Um so yeah, he's kind of, he's on the outs for me. Um, one guy who obviously stands out, uh, is Juju Smith Schuster. Um, just incredible what he's done to this point. Um, I think he's, I don't know I, if, if someone drafted him as the, the number one receiver in dynasty. Um, I think that would be fair. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. you know, just, just based on what he's done to this point and his age, uh, the guy who really stands out to me is someone who could really break out moving forward is Curtis Samuel. Um, I think the the comp to Percy Harvin was very appropriate when he was coming out of college. Um, he missed a lot of his freshman, sorry, a lot of his uh, rookie season because of injury and then was slow to start his second season uh, because of a, a heart issue that he had. But in the second half of the year, I mean, I wouldn't say he was just as good as DJ Moore, but like he was pretty darn comparable to a guy selected in the first round. Um, yeah. So Curtis Samuel is, I don't know. I'm like, I'm really interested in him. Like I, I want him basically anywhere I can get him. Okay. So that's probably the strongest endorsement uh, that we'll get this episode. I think uh, with tight end being a position that I, I, I don't recall any names jumping out to me as ones that you might like. So it looks like the recommendation from Friedman off of this episode will likely be Curtis Samuel is your best bet for that breakout this season. Uh, Cooper Cup has been fantastic. If the injury hadn't happened last season, we only know how strongly he would have finished. Taewon Taylor, another Titans receiver. I think we kind of have to write him off at this point, despite some hype that he generated uh, heading into last season. Yeah, I totally agree. He's in the Zay Jones role right now. Um, AJ Brown is going to squeeze him out. And then you have Adam Humphreys, who's going to be playing in the slot. Um, and then, of course, obviously, Corey Davis is going to be on the other side there. Like, there's just no position for Taewon Taylor. Hey, do you remember when Tajay Sharp was a thing based upon the preseason? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that he was a thing. And I remember being uh, very adamant that he was not a thing. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Carlos Henderson, Ardarius Stewart. I think we can bypass them unless you disagree. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's sad what happened with Carlos Henderson. He seemed like someone who had a lot of potential and then just that went nowhere. Yeah, it did. Chris Godwin, I think we know the story on that. Yeah, I think obviously. he's definitely hit. Yeah. I'm really excited about him. I actually think that um, unwittingly, I had him in my rankings at Rotoviz um, as my player that was the highest uh, ranked in my list versus what their ADP actually is. Um, yeah. Kenny Galladay. Went in at pick 96 at the end of the third round. I think he's been a hit, and uh, it looks like he should be the guy in Detroit this season, so we're probably expecting another solid season. Totally agree. Uh, Chad Williams uh, was the receiver who went off the board next, and I uh, I want to like him, um, but he was just so inefficient last year, and then... The Cardinals almost seemingly went out of their way to draft wide receivers <laughs> this year. Uh, so I think Chad Williams has no chance, even though I, I wish he did. Yeah, I guess um, the next name that looks like we could get something and has been intriguing is D.D. Westbrook. I forget. Oh, uh, yeah, you, absolutely. You, you, you liked Westbrook, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was he was the top uh, receiver in college his senior season. 
not only just because of his pass catching abilities, but because of what he could do as a returner and as a runner. Uh, on the smaller side, 170 pounds, but ran you know, like I think a 4.34. Uh, at his pro day, uh, fell in the draft primarily because of off the field issues. Um, the big thing that has held him back to this point has been the quarterback and the play calling in Jacksonville. I don't think the play calling is going to be much better, but uh, I think he is going to be the number one receiver and the, uh, the quarterback situation has obviously improved. Okay. That's, that's a, I think a situation, a player that we'll talk about more, uh, as we make our way towards the start of the season. Ryan Switzer, some people might be interested in talking about. I don't think that there's a whole lot to talk nah, about there. I have, I have no interest. <laughs> okay. Uh, the only other name that I find somewhat intriguing just to talk about is Trent Taylor uh, in San Francisco, who has been talked about at different points, but I think that was more a function of lack of players around him, and I don't think that at this point there's a whole lot to consider with him breaking out in year three. Yeah, totally agree, especially because uh, the 49ers just drafted, I don't know, was it like two, three, four wide receivers? <laughs> they drafted so, I a mean, lot. Yeah, so I, I think he's gone. The one guy actually uh, in, in this draft range who is intriguing, uh, at least to me a little bit, is David Moore. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, we did see him flash a little bit last year. Um, you know, some people kind of thought that it was his rookie season. It wasn't. It was his second year. Just, you know, he did nothing uh, in his his true first year. Um, but moving into his third year, the big question is, is he going to be able to actually see playing time? Um because the you know the Seahawks just drafted DK Metcalf, who is I think obviously going to see the field, uh, and then Tyler Lockett is still there. So David Moore is going to have to be competing uh, with Gary Jennings, um, and you know they drafted Jennings in the fourth round. It seems like they are they are bullish on him. Uh, I just don't know. But um, and, and then even if David Moore does play, I think he's kind of locked into that. Um, like I think he's basically bound to be uh, the Jermaine Curse uh, flanker who does nothing. Like you're going to have DK Metcalf playing like the explosive downfield X role. You're going to have Tyler Lockett dominating in the slot, and then you're going to have David Moore, who's basically just like running short routes and blocking. So even if he does play, uh, I don't know how much action he's actually going to get as a pass catcher. But he's really intriguing to me as a talent. You know, they also have. Jazz Ferguson, who went undrafted, but has some interesting, uh, interesting numbers to him. Bad yeah. breakout age, though. But I, yeah. I was kind of intrigued by Ferguson out yeah, of Northwestern Fer- State. Yeah, Ferguson is interesting too. Um, but I just I'm not going to uh, invest <laughs> any uh, draft capital or emotions into an, an undrafted uh, rookie wide receiver. That's just like a hard rule yeah. that I have. Um, my favorite name in maybe the last three classes, Malachi Dupree. Um, all I can mention is that I like the name. It's, it's very at, biblical. Yes. <laughs> Let's look at tight ends. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. O.J. Howard went at 19 to Tampa Bay. You know, actually just once I have to say, yep. this this tight end class has the potential to be like all-time great tight end class. And this was the one thing that like I remember talking with Fantasy Mansion back in the day about this class. Like th- this is the one thing that everyone knew right away was fantastic about this class, like the the tight end depth. Um and you look at uh, the 2010 class, I believe it was 2010, that had Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, Jimmy Graham. Like that, that class, it will probably be the greatest tight end class of all time. Uh, but this class really could give it a run for its money. Uh, and it, because of like the, the depth that you have with three guys going uh, in the first round, and then you have uh, uh, Johnny Smith in the third round. And then the big thing that really pushes this class over the top is George Kittle in the fifth round. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this class, 
you have OJ. Ha- well, I guess serious serious conversation here though is OJ Howard a clear hit so far? Has he broken out? Ah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, no, he hasn't broken out, but I'd say he's like the clear, probably number four, number five tight end who should be taken in uh, in redrafts, yep. and I would say even in dynasty, um, because he's he's been so efficient to this point in his career and it takes tight ends, you know, like one to three years to break out anyway. So I'm, I'm not holding it against him that he hasn't, uh, been voluminously productive, but he, he has been efficient. Um, so yeah, I think he's, I would say like, you can see the trajectory of he is on the right path. Yeah. I, I am in agreement there. Uh, especially when you're looking at tight ends, this season, I think Howard probably should be one of the first six off the board. He was followed up in that class by Evan Ingram, who had one of the best rookie tight end seasons I think we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, of course, it was aided by the fact that uh, all of the wide receivers for the Giants <laughs> suffered like season ending injuries. Um, so, you know, that that was like one stroke of luck that he had and obviously regressed last year. But uh, with Odell Beckham Jr. gone, um, yeah, I think we should see more targets for him this year. And uh, it wouldn't be surprising, actually, if he if he led the team in targets and receptions. That's surely possible. Um, David Njoku, the Browns took at pick 29. And I don't think that we've seen Njoku live up to the athletic profile yet. And that might become a little bit more difficult now that you also have Odell Beckham in Cleveland. Can yeah. we write him off? Can we no, pencil him no, no, in? No, no, no. What's the deal? I, I'm so long-term bullish on him. It's this weird thing where um, I think he's – I don't know. People are kind of like digging on on both sides. So on the one hand, uh, it's totally reasonable to project him for less usage this upcoming season um, because Odell Beckham Jr. is going to get such a large share of the targets. So I would expect Unjoku kind of to level out a little bit this season and not do much more this year than he did last year, maybe a little bit more. But long-term, everyone is still, I think, really enthusiastic about him because that offense looks like it could be really dynamic. Um, He's with Baker Mayfield, who at this point, I think, is already a top three dynasty quarterback. Um, Maybe not top three, top five, but I mean, he's he's up there. So people are still very bullish. So even though that has like impacted the short-term projection for Njoku, um, it still uh, helped him maintain his long-term value. Like I'm still totally on board with him. I, I think he's really not even 23 yet. Maybe he just turned 23. Like he still has so much long-term potential. Yeah. I think what it comes back to with him is try and find a player that has, you know, matching upside, matching potential that hasn't been realized yet. Um, and I think it's going to be really tough to find even with incoming tight ends in future classes. Cause like you said, he is pretty young. Uh, Gerald Everett, in that Rams offense, you know, Sean Siegel was one of the people that was high on Gerald Everett. As a function of that, it made me really like Everett too. Uh, it's just still a question of if there's any room for him uh, to really break out or flourish. I'm inclined to say not in 2019. Yeah, that's my inclination too. And I would say the same with uh, Adam Shaheen, the guy who went right after him at pick 45 to the Bears. Yep. Um, Shaheen was the guy who really stood out to me, uh, you know, played, um, you know, at small school Ashland, but was just incredibly dominant uh, as a pass catcher there and, and like a big bodied guy. Um, so you could sort of theoretically see him developing into someone like Gronk. Um, but yeah, those, those two second rounders, um, who had a lot of potential. I just, yeah, I don't know if they're going to get there. We really haven't seen anything from them to uh, to make us believe that they're going to take a big step forward. Am I wrong in wanting to give up now on Jonu Smith? Incredibly uh, athletic tight end, playing behind Delaney Walker, had his chance last year when Walker went out. You could blame it on the offense, or you could attribute it to this being a player who has a lot of the tools, just can't put them together. I think you give him one more year. Um, actually, I mean, I say that if you give him one more year, you're basically committing yourself to giving him two more years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is you were always, uh, I think expecting him to have to sit and develop behind Delaney Walker. And maybe last year it was just a combination of it was too soon and the offense sucked. And then Smith himself suffered an injury. Um, so 
yeah, I think you just have to wait and hope that uh, he can continue to develop behind Delaney. Yeah, but uh, probably not a candidate for the 20 or uh, one of the best candidates for a 2019 breakout. Behind him, we had Michael Roberts. It's kind of funny. Go to the Lions. He has now been erased by TJ Hawkinson. And then Jake Butt went to Denver at 145, who has now been erased by Noah Fant. Unless you think that those are offenses that could support two tight ends, which I highly doubt. Yeah, uh, I doubt it. Then George Kittle. Pick maybe one of the best picks of that draft at 146 to San Francisco. Behind them, you had Jordan Leggett, Jeremy Sprinkle, um, Bucky Hodges, Eric Saubert, Mason Shrek. None of those names really pop off the page. Yeah, totally agree. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think then we're left with Curtis Samuel did end up being the most intriguing player as a candidate for a third year breakout, I'm actually not sure that we identified any other players with very high chances. Yeah. I think Didi Westbrook is still the guy who who stands out after Curtis Samuel. Uh, And man, we didn't talk about Mike Williams at all. He's, you know, I think you kind of go back on forth uh, on how much you want to reach for him in drafts and what you think uh, his upside could be. And John Ross, uh, I'll go back to it. I mean, he's, he's so cheap. Um, that if you can get him uh, in one of the late rounds in best ball drafts, he might be worth it just because of the uh, the week-to-week volatility he's going to have and his ability to uh, turn any touch into a touchdown. But th- those would be the, uh, the three guys. Like Mike Williams, everyone kind of knows about him. It's just kind of trying to predict what his usage is going to be moving forward uh, without uh, Tyrell Williams in that offense. But uh, yeah, Curtis Samuel... D.D. Westbrook and John Ross, those are the guys that I'm probably looking at the most at the wide receiver position who still have like question marks attached to them. Yeah. So at this point, it does look like the I think the class is pretty much tapped in terms of finding breakouts that other people might not be as keen on at this point. Uh, any closing thoughts on the 2017 class before we close out? Yeah, I guess one more question would be thinking yep. about what you want to do with Chris Carson. Um, do you think he's going to continue to be the lead back in Seattle? Uh, or do you think he's going to, to lose out, uh, to Rashad Penny, you know, Penny, a, a first rounder from last season going against Carson, who was drafted in the seventh round the year before Carson outplayed him last year. But, you know, after like his, his first few games where he admittedly was unimpressive, Penny was pretty explosive. Uh, you know, in the second half of the season. So it's for me, there's like this question of what what do you do with Carson and what do you do with Penny? I'm inclined to think that Carson starts off getting the majority of the work, even if it's just a, you know, a little bit more of a fraction. But I think because of the competition there and the fact that Penny's more exciting, we're going to see Carson's ADP remain fairly depressed uh, compared to what it would be for a player that you might have similar expectations with in a team that doesn't have that number two back behind him. That was an exciting pick the season prior. So because of that, I think in especially in redraft leagues, I still will target him because he's a player that you're not going to be attached to. He'll be easy to churn and kick off of your squad if it doesn't hit but for the first couple of weeks there's the odds you know that you could use him as a starter uh i will not be shocked in any way if penny surpasses him and takes over by the end of the season but if we're just talking purely um these guys in the preseason as potential draft targets then i'm inclined to go after them uh or go after carson in a best ball league i'd probably be more inclined to go to penny because he seems like a player that when he gets the shot with the receiving ability, and I think he might have pretty solid rushing ability, could be a bit more explosive. So I would be playing it that way. In best ball, I'd be going penny. In redraft, I'd be taking Carson to start the season, evaluating as we move on. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I need to continue to think about it. Um, I mean, whoever ends up being the league guy, I think has a potential to win leagues because that is going to be such a run-heavy offense. Which I really hope that it's not. You know, they give Russell Wilson that huge contract. I think he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. And they just don't want to get with today's NFL and and go and really get behind him and, and kind of unleash him. And I think that with all of that running, it, it takes away some of the opportunities for these big plays that you can have with Wilson scrambling around using his legs. Uh, of course, you know, I do think that last season he was somewhat limited from a physical uh, perspective. So I, I guess we'll have to see. 
Yeah, I agree. I think they're still going to be run heavy, though. It's just, I mean, I think it's a mistake, but that's just what they're going to do with Brian Schottenheimer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hey, good show, Matt. Um, reminder to everybody to go and get that 10% uh, listener-only discount. Start sending us emails. Um, I will be setting up a, another voicemail number for another bold predictions episode. I think we should do another one of those. Do you? Uh, I will do whatever it is that you want us to do. <laughs> All right. So we will be doing another bold predictions episode, assuming uh, that we get the participation that we did last year. But that's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check us out at Rotoviz. And if there's any topics you want to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send us an email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember. It's not a fantasy, if you believe it. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.